The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is great to be with you. This morning we are in uh, Romans chapter 12, so I'd invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Romans 12. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project the passage in just a moment. Uh, but we're going to look at the second half of Romans 12 this morning, and we began uh, Romans 12 last week. Um, and, and many commentators, many theologians uh, believe that Romans could be broken up into two uh, large sections, okay? There's obviously smaller sections. Uh, there are ways that we could break it up into, into many, many sections, but two large sections encompassing chapters 1 through 11, which primarily focus on the doctrine, right? The theology of Romans is seen in Romans 1 through 11, and then chapters 12 through 16 primarily focus on application, how we are to live in light of that doctrine, now, of course, um, there was application in chapters 1 through 11, right? And there is absolutely doctrine in chapters 12 through 16. So, so don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that we have, like, jettisoned the theology, all the doctrines gone by the wayside now that we're in chapter 12. No, we still have both. But, but it does seem as though Paul is emphasizing more now in chapters 12 through 16 how we are to live in light of chapters 1 through 11. There's certainly more application, more imperatives, more commands and demands that he puts on our life. And last week we began this section by hearing that the foundation, the foundation for whatever we're called to do, the foundation for whatever commands, whatever demands God might put on our life is the mercy of God right? It is the mercy of God that, that causes us to be led to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. It's his mercy and his grace that is the foundation for what Paul calls us to do. It's the foundation for the remainder of chapter 12. So remembering that, keeping that in mind, right? Having that as our foundation, God's mercy and his grace. Let's read Romans 12 beginning in verse 9. Paul writes, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, for by so doing, 
you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask simply that you would be with the one who speaks and that you would be with the ones who listen and that you would minister to us through your spirit, that your word would go forth and that you would root us and ground us in your love and grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in these few verses that we just read, uh, there are between, depending on how you count it, depending on uh, how you Uh, qualify it, there are between 20 and 30 commands in these few verses. Maybe you felt that as I was reading it, right? It's a lot of do this, don't do that, you know, be this way, go do that thing, don't do that thing, right? It's it's a lot of those. It, It feels like an avalanche of imperatives coming upon us, right? It's do this, do this, do this. But over them all, the, the umbrella command, if you will, the, the command that, that is the umbrella over all the others is the command to love. It's the command to love. But what does love look like? What is the shape of our love to be? Well, you know, when I uh, first moved to South Carolina from Canada, so I grew up was raised in Burlington, Ontario, Canada. I moved to a little town called Greenwood, South Carolina. Not Greenville. Y'all have heard of Greenville. You have not heard of Greenwood. (laughs) So when I moved to Greenwood, South Carolina, it was like moving not just to a new nation, but a new world because they said words that I was familiar with, but they had different meanings. So for instance, in Canada, uh, a wool brimless hat that you wear in the winter to keep your head warm in Canada, and by the way, in the dictionary, it's called, (laughs) you can look it up, it's called a toque, a toque, okay? In South Carolina, it's called a toboggan, a toboggan. Now in Canada, a toboggan, and in the dictionary, by the way, (laughs) is a wooden sled you go down a hill in. But in South Carolina, toboggan is a wool brimless cap that keeps your head warm. So that was one of the things. I also learned that barbecue is not what you cook on. It's actually the meat that you eat, right? That's nothing new to y'all. And I learned very quickly that when you didn't hear someone, you actually don't say pardon. I was corrected. You say what? So these were some of the things that I had to learn. But but the one phrase that took me the longest to understand was the phrase, bless your heart. (laughs) Okay, so uh, bless your heart was said uh, to me, about me, and to others in my presence. And, And oftentimes it was said with a soft tone, a slight tilt of the head, and a smile, oh, bless your heart. And I thought, this is a way of showing care, (laughs) sympathy, genuine love. (laughs) But I quickly came to realize that behind the auspice of genuine love, bless your heart, really means, oh, you sad idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right? This was the southern way of, of saying not sympathy and care and love, but it was a false expression of sympathy and care and love. Instead of genuine love, 
it was false and fake, right? Now, when it comes to Christian love, our love is never to be fake. And our love is never to be phony. It is to be genuine. And that's how Paul began our passage, right? Verse 9, let love be genuine. Most literally, the most literal way we could translate this is love is without hypocrisy. That it's lacking pretense. It's not play acting. Love is to be sincere and real. You see, when it comes to Christian love, it isn't a fake, bless your heart. It's genuine. It's genuine. That is what our love is to be like. So, so what does that look like, though? If that's what the shape of our love is to be, it is to be genuine, what does that look like? How does it play out? Well, well Paul tells us our love is to be discerning. Genuine love is discerning. In fact, right immediately after he says, let love be genuine, he follows it with abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, this might seem strange to us, right? Like, Paul just talked about love, and then he turns his attention to evil and to abhorring, right? To hating what is evil. In the same breath, he speaks of hatred as he does love. And it seems strange to our ears, because for many of us, maybe we have adopted a posture of love that equates to affirmation. That if you love someone or something, you will affirm all their desires and all their thoughts and all their actions. But y'all, that's not love. In our world, we don't have just beautiful things and good things and things that we affirm. There are also evil and wicked and unjust things. And so what Paul's telling us is that we actually have to be discerning. We have to be discerning because not everything is lovely. Not everything is good and right. In fact, at times it is right and loving to hate evil that threatens. That the way in which we can love others is by hating the evil that threatens them. You see, love that's discerning, what Paul is indicating, is a love that operates out of God's moral order. That we abhor what God calls evil, and we hold fast to what God calls true and good and beautiful. That what he says is right, we hold fast to. What he says is wicked, we oppose. See, love is discerning. Genuine love must be discerning between what is good and what is evil, between what is beautiful and what is ugly. It must be discerning, but it's not only discerning. Paul tells us love is also dedicated. Genuine love is dedicated. You hear it with the language he uses, right? Brotherly affection, showing honor, zealous, fervent in spirit, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, contributing to the needs of one another, and showing hospitality. I mean, the language he uses is language of dedication, of giving ourselves to another. And Paul is describing this love, this dedicated love, in the context of the church. Right? He says brotherly affection. Right? Brotherly affection. Now, everyone is our neighbor. Jesus makes that point clear. 
in the parable of the Good Samaritan. When he's asked, who is my neighbor, he responds with the Good Samaritan, and the implication is, everyone is my neighbor. And we'll talk about love of neighbor next week in our passage in Romans 13. But not everyone is our brother or sister. Brother or sister is is familial language. It's speaking specifically of the people of God. That we would have brotherly or sisterly affection for one another. And we know that Paul's talking about this love within the church because he also speaks of the saints, right? And the saints, that's, that's us, right? Saint in the New Testament, it's not speaking about moral perfection, right? It's not talking about sainthood like we maybe think of the saints, but it's, it's talking about the category, the name that God gives to us when we become his people. We are now saints, And so what Paul is telling us is that within the church, our genuine love should be expressed with dedication. A dedication, verse 10, that outdoes one another in showing honor. You know, when I do a wedding, almost every single wedding I've ever presided over, I I will often tell the couple that's standing before us, right, that that are, are... taking their vows, who are about to enter into marriage, I will often encourage them to graciously compete with one another in seeking to be the most selfless. So, so I always qualify that. That doesn't mean that you have like a, a, a standings on your fridge, right? Like, hey, babe, I'm like four ahead of you. You better keep it up. I'm pulling away, right? Like, come on, a little selflessness. Let's pick it. No, no, no. It, that, it's graciously competing with one another. And that's something of what Paul's talking about in this passage when he says, outdo one another in showing honor. You see, he says in verse 16, do not be haughty, never be wise in your own sight. Why? Because honor isn't about ourselves. Honor is about others about honoring their contributions and their gifts and their abilities. You see, genuine love, dedicated love, is expressed in honor, in honoring another. But it's also expressed in caring for the needs of others. Paul prays, says to pray for one another, to contribute to the needs of the saints, to show hospitality, to rejoice, to weep. You see, when we enter into one another's lives, we enter in as people who love with this sort of dedication, of entering into one another's lives to help care for one another. And I know many of you, I know most of you, and this is, I know, how many of you and most of you want to live. To love in this way, to love others in this sort of giving of yourself for the sake of others. Right? To weep with those who weep. To rejoice with those who rejoice. To want to pray in the midst of difficulty. To show care in the midst of need. We want to do this for others. We want to be dedicated in love for the sake of others. I I know y'all do because I see it. I've watched the ways that you do this, and it's beautiful. It's good. It's a way of showing love, dedication to one another. But where I think we actually struggle isn't in the showing this dedication to one another. It's allowing others to show that dedication to us. 
You see, we'll say things like, well, I'll bring you a meal, or I'll pray, or I'll give my time and energy in your time of need. But how can you pray for me? How can you help me? How can you be there in my time of need? I've got it. You know, I, I, I can take care of it. I can handle it on my own. Let me help you, but, but I don't need any help. Right? We want to bear others' burdens, but we don't want to share our own. And we want to pray for others, but we are vague when it comes to how others can pray for us. We want to be needed, but we certainly do not want to be needy. And yet, friends, the love that Paul's describing here isn't a love that is just dedicated to others, but it's others dedicated to us. We all have burdens and needs and cares and worries and rejoicing and weeping and things to pray about and things to celebrate. And to be a people of love with dedication means that, that we're not only dedicated to others when they're in those times of need, but we let others express that dedication to us. Y'all, I, I know we don't like this. I, I don't like it. Right? Like, none of us likes to be perceived as needy, as lacking, as not being able to, to uh, pull ourselves up, to not having enough strength to persevere. Right? None of us like to be perceived that way. And yet we know from our theology, from Romans 1 through 11, that that is who we are. A needy people. And so one way that we love one another is not simply being there for one another, but allowing others to be there for us. Because that is love that is dedicated. It's also love that's discerning. And, and finally, the love that Paul's describing is a love that is different. It's just strange, the kind of love that Paul's describing. Do you hear it? Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With all. Democrats, Republicans, independents, people who don't look like me and who don't sound like me and people who are from other countries and people who homeschool and public school and private school and parochial school and whatever other schooling option there might be, right? Like, with all, live peaceably. That's weird in our day. That is strange. But he goes on, verse 19, never avenge yourselves. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. This is a love that is different. It is a love that makes us different. It is a love that makes us different from the world. Right? A few weeks ago, I shared with y'all uh, in a sermon about a conversation I had with a man downtown. I was downtown. Is that restaurant? Is he in lunch? Reading a book? Um, I don't get very many lunches by myself anymore, so this one I, I had. It was kind of nice. So I was sitting there reading my book, and this guy sits down beside me, and there goes my lunch by myself. 
But we enter into this conversation, we start having this uh, dialogue with one another, and, and I shared with y'all that, that he asked me, where, where do I look for hope in this world? And I told him, I think that's a fool's errand. There is no hope in this world apart from Jesus. I share the gospel with him. And then he goes on. This is what I didn't share with y'all. He goes on and tells me that the hope for change, the hope for change to be enacted in this world is only through violence. And opposing and attacking anyone who stands in our way. That that's the hope we have. That that is how we are going to enact change. And so, in response to this, after he finished telling me this, I quoted some of Romans 12. And I said, well, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That that Jesus didn't say, take up the sword. He said, pray and love. Now, this man responded to me. He goes, uh, you need to read your Bible more because there's no way it says that. <laughs> and he knew I was a pastor. Um, and, uh, you know, it's true. I do need to read my Bible more. But, uh, uh, but I'm pretty sure that's what it says. And then he called me delusional. And to him and to many in our world, that is Delusional. Because everything around us and what we hear and the message that is promoted is not bless your enemies, live peaceably with all, care for those who hate you. It is the exact opposite. Destroy reputations. Cancel those who disagree with you. Attack those who attack you. But what Paul is telling us is that we counter persecution and attack and evil with something different. We counter it with love, blessing and honor, provision and goodness. And y'all, that isn't easy. Because we are prompted and encouraged to respond to evil with evil, to respond to anger with anger. And that prompting isn't just out there. It is in here. Right? I mean, just the hearing of a person's name who has hurt us. They may not even be in our presence, but just hearing the utterance of their name can cause us to want to tell whoever will listen how that person is hurtful and mean-spirited and two-faced and not the person you think they are. And yet what Paul says is bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. Live peaceably with all. Now, why would we ever do that? Why would we bless and not curse? Why would we pray and not take vengeance? Why would we give honor rather than evil? One of the reasons is because it means we're trusting in God's justice not our own, right? We don't take vengeance because God will avenge. We see it in verse 19. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20 says that by feeding and giving drink to our enemy, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a reference to God's judgment. And so the reason why we don't have to take vengeance into our own hands, the reason why we don't have to repay evil with evil is because we believe and trust that God will one day bring his justice to bear. 
that he will one day bring an end to evil. And that means then we are freed to pursue good. If we don't have to take justice into our own hands, if we don't have to respond with vengeance, then that frees us to respond with goodness, kindness, and love. We can also live this way, this sort of different love, because evil is not overcome by evil, it's overcome by good. You see at the passage ends in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what Paul is telling us is that we don't play by the world's rules. We don't operate by their principles. The world tells us that we respond to evil in kind and hate those who are against us and who would destroy and attack us. But to respond in kind is to actually engage in evil ourselves. And that will destroy us. It's like in the Lord of the Rings, right? The Lord of the Rings, the whole, whole story is about destroying the ring of power, right? That ring that Sauron, the Dark Lord, is using to enact evil. And, and the way that we get rid of evil is by destroying the ring. But some of the people in the Lord of the Rings, they want to use the ring, which is evil, against the Dark Lord, who is evil. But what happens when they try that? Their hearts are darkened, their minds are turned, and they become the very thing that they were opposing. And the same is true of us. We do not respond to evil with evil, but instead we respond to evil with love. Because that is love. And that is how we've been loved. You see, that's the most important reason for why we live with this sort of love, because that's the way that God has loved us. I began by saying that the, the operating principle for Romans 12 is that we function out of God's mercy and grace. And any time we talk about how we are to love, we must remember how we've been loved. And how have we been loved? Well, we were those who were once enemies of God, and we were those who were deserving of his vengeance and wrath. We were those pursuing evil. We were part of the armies who were opposing the good king. But God overcame our evil with his good. Right? I mean, Jesus said it himself in John 3.16, right? The most famous passage in the whole of Scripture for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who would ever believe in him shall not die, but have eternal life. Through Christ, God overcame evil with love. A love that is discerning and a love that is dedicated and a love that is different from the world. That is how Christ has loved you. And that's how he's loved me. And it's because of that love that we are called in this passage to love. To love the world and to love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have loved us with a love not of this world, but of a love that sent your Son to live and to die and to rise again so that we would have life. And that we would live in the midst of your love and be a people who love you and our neighbor and one another. 
And so we ask that you would impose upon us this desire to love with discernment and dedication and in a way that is different from the world so that others may see the good deeds that we produce from this love and give glory to you, our Father in heaven who has loved us first. Do this, we pray, so that you would be made much of. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.